0: Get road trip ready with a service checkup at your local Chevy dealer. They can save you time and money and get the job done right the first time, worry-free. Go to ChevyDriveChicago.com for current service specials or to schedule a test drive.
1: 20 WGN. Hello, it's Amy Gooth in for Anna Devlantis today with you till three o'clock. We've got a lot going on today. We are going to it's Tech Tuesday. So of course, we're going to be talking with Scott Katoon about some tech topics on top of mind for many people. But right now we're joined in studio by Seamus Toomey, who is the co founder of Block Club Chicago. Hello. So glad you're here. Oh, I'm gonna turn your mic on and everything. There you go. Hello. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming in. All right. There's so many things. I I really enjoy the work that the Block Club Chicago does. And uh, actually, right before I turned your microphone on, we were talking about this little, I call it the credibility bug. It's like a little sidebar of all of your, um, of all of the stories on Block Club, talking about why it's there, what it's there, just building transparency around it that I think is so interesting.
0: Well, thanks. Yeah, I... It's uh, it was something that that we launched right when we started a year and a half ago. Um, a company that we were working with named Civil, uh, a brilliant person there named Julia Himmel, came up with it, and it's it's simple. It's it. it it lets us just check a box if the reporter was actually out on the scene covering a story that 's the on the ground box if they're a subject specialist, like say they they've been writing about this topic multiple times as as well as an original reporting box so this is not an aggregated story mm-hmm. we didn't just like rip this off from from the tribune so it it 's pretty simple but it's a way just to show the reader like we really reported this one out. We are actually were out on the scene and and if we weren't we won 't click that box, but if we were out on a fire, we were there out at a meeting, we'll click the box. So we've gotten a ton of great feedback on it. And it's like I said, it's just sort of a simple way of acknowledging to the reader that we're doing the work.
1: That's right. And and here's why we made the choices we made. And here's what's at stake. And here's what this is. For example, one of those says, uh, as a news piece, this article cites verifiable third party sources, which have all been thoroughly fact checked and deemed credible by the newsroom in accordance with the civil constitution. That's great. Like right right away as a reader, you can go, oh, OK, they've gone through the process and done the work of fact checking this. I can trust this information is credible and vetted.
0: And that's really all that we have ultimately in that's this right. industry is trust. Once we um, squander that, uh, you know, why would anyone come to us and trust us? So uh, we take it very, very seriously, seriously. And that's just one way to, to show people that uh, uh, we're like, so we're out there.
1: Yeah, indeed. All right. Well, we have many, many stories that I want to talk with you that Block Club has been covering lately, but we we have a caller by phone right now. We have Jim Allen joining us by phone, who is the Chicago Board of Elections spokesperson. Hi, Jim. Thanks so much for being with us today. Good afternoon. And I uh, So there's so much I want to ask you. There's so many things right now, but I mostly want to talk about the uh, early voting, mail-in voting, and kind of what is that looking like so far?
2: early voting so far is holding the same pattern that we saw four years ago and we're hoping that it picks up uh, significantly over the next few days we have fifty two sites for all of our chicago voters they can use any site that's most convenient for them during this early voting period all the way through monday all of our sites are open every day weekdays this week uh... through seven p.m. so uh, whether it's down on the south side or way up north or anywhere in between All of our sites are open today, tomorrow, Thursday, and Friday, uh, 9 a.m. to 7 p.m., and then on Saturday from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. On Sunday from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m., and on Monday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m., and then five of them are going to be open also all the way through 7 p.m. on Monday. We're strongly encouraging our voters to use early voting. We have a very fluid situation right now with uh, polling places where we have some that have not been assigned and that and uh, a handful of others that were previously assigned where the proprietors, for one reason or another, are calling and refusing to serve and open their doors on, on Election Day. So if you can use early voting or apply uh, very soon for vote-by-mail because the deadline to apply for vote-by-mail is Thursday, so you need to get Online at chicagoelections.gov or get an application into our offices by 5 p.m. Thursday to apply to vote by mail. We'll then mail you your ballot and then you have a tracking system. Uh, so after you've marked your ballot and you put it in the postage paid envelope that we supply, you sign the outside of that envelope, drop it in the mail, and you're going to be able to track it back to the election board. You have until election day, to return your ballot in the mail. And then even if it arrives in the days that follow, as long as it was hit by the automated system at the Postal Service, we're going to know that it was mailed on time, and we're going to be able to count your ballot.
1: I think uh, voting by mail is is such a great idea. I always encourage people to do it. You can sit there and double check your research. You can be a much more thorough voter as you're going through that. Earlier this week, NBC Chicago had reported that possibly there was some some slower turnout for early voting, possibly. and, And they were kind of posing the question of, is this about coronavirus fears? Do you get that sense?
2: We don't think it was because there was a lot of shaking out of the field, especially on the presidential side, that happened early last week, and that got us off to a slightly slower start. We were almost even. We were, uh, you know, a difference of 90 ballots uh, between this year's early voting and four years ago at the primary early voting, uh, an insignificant number given that there's more than 50,000 who have used early voting so far, and we're expecting that to pick up in coming days. But we, we want to, again, strongly encourage people to use early voting. Uh, we have sa- hand sanitizer at every early voting location. We'll have hand sanitizer at every precinct as well. Uh, we have uh, disinfectant wipes. We're trying to encourage people to vote once, but be sure you wash your hands early and often.
1: Indeed. All right. Well, thanks so much. I really appreciate you taking the time to check in with us today.
2: Oh, you're welcome. Thank you.
1: All right. Thanks so much. That was we were just talking with Chicago Board of Elections spokesperson Jim Allen. Seamus Toomey from Block Club Chicago is in the studio. We're going to take a quick break and keep talking back in just a bit on 720 WGN. All right. Amy Guth in for Anna Davlantis, And I have Seamus Toomey in the studio, who of course is the co-founder of Block Club Chicago. And we were, uh, we were talking about all kinds of things going on. There's a lot of stories and we were, but we were starting by talking about all the reporting that your reporters are doing and how you approach transparency as a news, news organization, which I think is so very, very important. But let's dig into some stories because there's many, many things I want to talk about. One story that grabbed my eye recently on Block Club Chicago was about, uh, the park district and those donation boxes. They're like unmanned. You just sort of, it's like a a giant mailbox and you pull it down and donate clothes or whatever. And the park district is doing something kind of interesting with those.
0: Right. I'm I'm fascinated by these donation boxes because they're everywhere. You know, every parking lot's got one. Uh, Most parks have them. But um, what a lot of people don't know is a vast majority of them or a lot of them are uh, for-profit companies um they they take the they take the clothes they sell it by bulk they um and you know they're it's not really well known or well publicized or or certainly not on the boxes there aren't ways to really look into these companies and the park district just um came up with a uh, contract with the green city project um these are big um, green boxes you, You're certain to see them More and more Around uh, Park District I feel like you parks. see those The
1: most They're, yeah, they're exactly. green With the yellow writing on them they're, Those are everywhere
0: They're everywhere And um, a couple of them Just showed up At the Nichols Park uh, In Hyde Park And the uh, Park Advisory Council—it's a volunteer group—they—they uh, they weren't happy about it. You know, they—they um, they, they started sounding off to our reporter Maxwell Evans, our Hyde Park reporter, just at a at a meeting this week, um, and they were saying, "Listen, we're the advisory council; we had no say in these." And all of a sudden, these boxes—these for-profit boxes—showed up on city-owned p- property you know what's going on we want more transparency on this um you know the, the park district notes that it's a um, it's a hundred and twenty thousand dollar contract that they're going to get this year from it and it's uh, that's money that's going to go into the their operations budget to help uh, support operations citywide so they're uh, defending it as like listen we we need to make money uh, somehow to support these operations and uh, having a place to uh to drop off your extra clothes is is a decent way of doing it they also noted that these boxes are full you know are filling up quickly so there is a need for for these but it it was sort of the lack of um uh heads up that this advisory council gets and and you know how um you know volunteer groups are you know they, they they take ownership of of these jobs and of the parks that they're protecting and they also have to answer to the park users who you know who are you know live on their block and uh, may be upset about it and say, what's going on with this? So it was interesting story. Um, You know, with all these things popping up around the city, it's always interesting to find out where the money's actually going.
1: That's right. And I don't think that that's, I don't have the sense anyway that that's widely known. I think we think of a donation box. The word donation kind of makes us believe, oh, that's a, that's a thing where we're helping people somewhere. I don't know. But if you really start looking, there's usually most of them have a website on the box or you can Google the name. As you look at them, it's surprising that you're exactly right. Many of them are for-profit organizations.
0: And, and it's hard to figure out exactly who they are or, you know, th- you know the name of the company. But some of them don't have very uh, transparent um, uh, operations or websites. And it is hard to find a human there. You know, for-profit companies are great, you know. Yeah. Uh, and they're, and th- they are g- getting away to uh, two things. Get rid of, you know, some junk you don't want. Um, or you, that could help others, and they are getting it out to other people. So I'm, I'm not bashing that, but it was it was the lack of transparency that this park council was really flagging. It was like, hey, how come you didn't at least tell us or ask yeah.
1: us about this? Let us know what's going on and how how that gets distributed. All right, I want to move up to Lincoln Square now. This is a, an interesting story. So um, there's a lot of people in. I feel like people in Lincoln Square. There's there's a couple of bars and landmarks people are very protective of, and as some have closed, there. You know, I, I we've saw. We saw them like trend on Twitter, right? When people love a place, it will trend. People people express their feelings about it when they have to close their doors, things like that. But there's potentially something in the works,
0: right? This is something at, at Block Club. We, we figured out uh, her uh, in a hurry. Like when treasured institutions, particularly restaurants or bars, close, we treat it as if it's breaking news. It's a it's thing. A, it's a thing. We hop all over it. We're like you drop everything. it's some, you know, sometimes we we say it facetiously or no, I mean we don't. But we we realize like the. This is kind of crazy, like drop everything the the, the Brow House is closing. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but right. that's how we do it, because, yeah. you know, people are interested in this stuff. So the Brow House, it's um, old time German restaurant. Uh, it closed in 2017. This is located on that stretch of Lincoln and Lincoln Square that I, we always refer to as the heart of Lincoln Square. It's right on Giddings Plaza. You know, it's uh, it's not cobblestone, but it might as well be. You know, it's that little stretch,
1: and it's the one way with the it's, parking it's all the one on way the left. With
0: the, yeah, yeah, with the parking, and it's really congested, and it's all you know, mom and pop sh- shops there. It's it's you know, it's kind of the, the really cute part of Lincoln Square. Um, anyway, this is the Bra House was right smack dab in the middle of it. Closed in 2017, and it really broke a lot of people's hearts because. Uh, Old time German food. They had the the band in the corner that was like the same four guys playing the same 10 songs.
1: It was a polka band that had played the same forever, but they also like new police covers.
0: Yeah, exactly, exactly. And 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 the singer was great. He had this blonde mullet. And yeah. They called him like the German Rod Stewart. Uh everyone, <laughs> you know, yeah, uh and you know, the all the all the bartenders, you know, had been there forever and um it was really dark and uh, my wife hated it because she said it was just too red in there. Like all the lights were red, the bar was red. kind of red. Um but anyway, it it was a beloved spot um dancing, you know, Et cetera, et cetera. Uh, closed down. Um, they they sold off the building, and be, it's becoming a, a medical center, which kind of disappointed people. Nothing against medical centers, but when you you take away an old German beer hall, and, and you know it doesn't compare
1: with a polka. Beer. It doesn't
0: compare. It doesn't compare at all. But the good news is the um, the. The Donkhaus, which is the German cultural center just on the other side of Western, you know, about 100 steps from the Brow House, they preserved all of the interior. We didn't know this was going on. They preserved the entire interior and stored it all away, and they're going to rebuild the Brow House within the, the the dunk house um and you know create that same atmosphere there and and try to bring back all of the fans
1: i have a feeling a lot of fans are going to be very happy to hear that we're talking with seamus Toomey, who is co-founder of block club chicago we're going to take a little break and get you to news and all that good stuff and and return for plenty more conversation about things going on at block club chicago back in just a bit here on 720 wgn 720 WGN. It's Amy Guth in for Anna Davalante today with you till three o'clock. Esteemed producer Jasmine Cooper playing all the hits yet again today. We had so much fun playing 80 stuff yesterday and you're at it again, Jasmine. You're the best. Can't help myself. You can not help yourself and you should not be helped. You should not be stopped. You should continue with your good jams that you're playing. I had all those earworms in my head though as promised yesterday. Oh no. No, it was fine. It was fine. It was all good. Anyway. All right. So we have Seamus Toomey in the studio with us, who, of course, is the co-founder of Block Club Chicago, who, you know what, you should go find all their social media and follow them. If you follow me on Twitter, Amy G-U-T-H, I will tweet out links to all the stuff we've talked about after the program so you can read these stories for yourself and check them out. And, of course, follow and connect with Block Club Chicago, who does such great work. All right, Seamus, let's see. I also would like to talk about um, Old St. Pat's. That is such an interesting institution, and people love that place. It's a beautiful, beautiful, uh, beautiful church. with It's so beautifully decorated. But what's going on with them coming this weekend?
0: Well, yeah, Old St. Pat's uh, over in the West Loop. Uh, they're known for, um, among many things, but they usually have this uh, midsummer two-day block party bash uh they call it like the world's biggest block party that's right which it it could have been it was enormous um they actually scrapped that this year in favor of doing some smaller events um and the first one is coming up uh saturday um they're they're um you know they have a heavy irish congregation there so why not do a saint patrick's day bash um they're calling it um It's hard to say, at least hard to spell. It's like shamrocking the block, and there's apostrophes and ends in there. Say that three times fast, right? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, So it's it's Saturday. It's from noon till 6, right in front of the church, which is at 700 West Adams. And I think the weather is supposed to be lousy this weekend. I'm not sure, but... Um, Usually a safe bet. A safe bet. You know, I'm, I'm used to 65 and sunny on Sundays.
1: Uh, I know we've like, gotten a little
0: spoiled. Like three in a row, yeah. But I don't think we're getting that this weekend. But this is all under a big heated tent out there in front of the church. And the the, the part that cracked me up is um, the, uh, the, the pastor of the church, uh, 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 Tom Hurley uh they're calling this the uh they're calling the outdoor tent the uh Tommy O'Hurley's uh pop-up pub. <laughs> so um you know they're they're definitely in the spirit. Uh it's it's a fun crowd. There's going to be an Irish band and there's going to be food, there's going to be uh, a ton of beer, I'm sure. Um so yeah, it's uh Old St. Pat's. They they do a really good job of uh, fundraising there um for the, for themselves and their uh, adjacent church and this is part of that. But it's a, it's like I said, it's a replacement for the world's largest block party. And uh, I'm sure it's going to be it's going to be packed.
1: You know what? When I first moved to Chicago, I had some coworkers that told me about that block party said, we got to go to this. You have to see this. I had no idea what I was walking into. and It was really giant. It was such a thing.
0: Yeah. And, you know, in St. Patrick's Day as well, you know, there's a lot going on downtown, but there really isn't a outdoor fest. It's like a million outdoor. Unless
1: you count drunk green glitter down by the river that's being dyed green.
0: I, I, Which I don't. I, I, I personally tell people to stay away from downtown at St. Patrick's Day. It's, oh, yes. it, it's just a drunken mess. And, uh, and in, you know, amateur hour, uh, all that stuff goes into play. And it's, it, it's, it's sad. And it's usually by like noon or so that, you know, people oh, yeah. are like in the gutter.
1: I will never forget one year about 830 in the morning. I was outside and there was a woman who had a green shirt on. She was as far as I knew wearing it as a joke but nonetheless wearing a shirt that said today I'm drinking for two it was supposed to be like a maternity shirt I was like come on guys come on this eight in the morning but she was also like falling over a garbage can so let's hope she was wearing it as a joke uh but yeah you're right you're right I usually tell people the same I'm like "Eh, uh maybe find a thing to do it's kind of it's it's interesting to see the river it's great to see it when you're up here in a building and you can look down on it without falling over green feather boas
0: yes I've I've worked a lot of Saturdays and just to come out I'll of work and just to see sort of the the streaming nonsense going on, it's uh, it, it's it's it gets a little aggravating, but. God bless you You know As Seamus Toomey I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a proud Irishman I shouldn't be bashing The, sure. the drunken revelry Of River North But uh, but here I am
1: Yeah oh, I mean I said this yesterday I used to live down here And it would just be this like Oh no Oh God They're coming They're here Oh no And it would be weeks Of green feathers And glitter all over the place But yeah It's all a good time All right Another story That I want to talk about Before we let you run uh, That is about The South Shore Library Reopening with big upgrade, big upgrades Including a recording studio a media lab and a black history section i'm so interested in this story
0: yeah this is fascinating this is um a renovation that's been years in the making the library itself has been closed for for over a year um so the the folks at south shore have really you know been very patient on this one and and their patience it was just rewarded it's just reopening it's they put two and a half million bucks into it, which can go a long way uh, in, in a library. Um, they they put in uh, studios uh, that kids can come in and, and use the, the sound equipment. Um, it's called the U Media Lab. Um, there's early learning areas. There's going to be tutors for kids with homework. There's the Black History section. They're called it the Heritage, heritage section um and then, and then they fixed up the outside of it you know some of the non-sexy stuff like you know they fixed the roof well and, sure in the, the, the windows and stuff like that but it's a beautiful old building you know it's not your it's not your standard looking library it's a um, it, it's a gorgeous spot um at uh, 2505 east 73rd and it's uh and it's it's ready for business so um you know the city's done a real good job um, with uh, some of the library rebuilds and the brand new ones they've put in um, some of them around town they they're actually putting senior housing on top of them there's one in Westridge that just opened um, where you know it'd be wouldn't it be great to if you're in a retirement home to have a library right underneath you um they're they're doing that they're working with the chA on it so they're getting very innovative, and um, with Mayor Lightfoot's um, wife as a librarian, uh, it's bound to uh, it's bound to continue the emphasis on on rebuilding Chicago libraries. They're they're they have a bright future.
1: Yeah, and I'm so interested in the U Media Lab, and I love this idea that teens and and young people in the community can come in and just kind of make whatever they want. What a wonderful creative space for that community. That's so cool. All right, well, thank you so much for being with us, Seamus Toomey, who is of course the co-founder of Block Club Chicago. Follow them follow him do all the things thank you so much
0: thanks for having me appreciate it
1: all right we'll be back in just a bit on 720 wgn 720 wgn it's amy guth in for anna Davalantes today thanks for being with us i'm with you till three o'clock so now we are joined by dr kathleen g beavis she is a professor of pathology at the university of chicago dr beavis thanks so much for being with us today i appreciate you taking the time to chat
3: no, Amy, it's a pleasure to be on your show, to hear your questions, and uh, to do what I can to share some good information.
1: Thank you. Because you know what I have been saying? It seems like there's so many competing narratives in this moment that we're in, in the news cycle, talking about coronavirus, and it seems like it's very binary. Either it's, hey, don't panic, or hey, it's either, you know, apathy or panic. And I think there there is a third option, right, that is information, preparedness, and, and, and just kind of being ready to face what, what comes, but also knowing we don't know what we don't know yet. Would you fair to say that's a fair assessment?
3: Amy, that was so beautifully said. And I think that's one of the big challenges of this. And not just with this particular virus, but with so many things in life today, information comes at us from so many sources. And how do we know what sources are reliable, Um, When our friends tell us things, how do we know what their source is as well? And and I think, again, that's one of the challenges. Where do we get our information from? Um, For me, one of the standard places I would recommend for um, everyone to take a look at is obviously the CDC website. The information there is getting frequently updated as we get new information. Uh, Other sources of information, of course, are your regular physician. Um, Many hospitals are putting out their own information. But I think that's one of the big challenges is how do we get uh, curated information, information that is reliable?
1: Absolutely. And I think because we, we have so much access to information right now. We have our, our social media feeds. We have, you know, everything we could possibly want to know is at our fingertips. I think there's this feeling like I want to know everything right now when in fact we just kind of have to wait and see what happens. So you also are the spokesperson for the College of American Pathologists. What right now are you? do you feel like you're having to underscore the most when talking to people about what we're potentially looking at in the weeks ahead?
3: Well, Amy, just as information comes at us from all sources and we wonder what's reliable and what's not, we'll be having a big um, explosion, I'm hoping, um, although it probably won't happen that quickly, but we will be having a large increase in testing. And I want to reassure your listeners that, The testing that will happen in accredited high-complexity laboratories is reliable testing. Um, There's a big infrastructure in place. The College of American Pathologists is a large part of that, and they go around and they accredit laboratories. And what that lets us know is that the laboratories who will be performing this testing know what they're doing. They have tested the test before they test it on patients, and the results produced will be reliable.
1: A little bit earlier today, there was news of a flight that was interrupted by someone who was sneezing on the flight and other passengers became disruptive, trying to confront them. You know, chaos ensued. I think right now there's a lot of fear, probably, and a lot of concern. People are looking out for their health and for the health of their, you know, their their loved ones. And, and so once and for all here... Everybody, we have a doctor on the phone. Let's settle this once (laughs) and for all. When we're talking about spread, a lot of focus has been put on droplets through coughing and contact. And we're also you know, hearing like, okay, just bump elbows, don't shake hands, do this, clean services. Let's talk about spread and what we can do to be good citizens, even if we don't feel we're in a high-risk group, how we can make sure we're not being asymptomatic carriers and things like that.
3: Knows these days who in who is in a high risk group. I mean, if I'm sitting in um, you know a movie theater or if I'm sitting at a lecture here at the university and I start coughing, people don't know what risk group I'm in. You know, and for that reason, I've tried I've tried to be very careful with my own behaviors. Um, I know sometimes people say cough into your left hand, not your right hand, or cough into an elbow, cough into your shoulder. I'll be honest, I've been carrying tissues with me. I cough into a tissue or I sneeze into a tissue, and then I put that either in a pocket or my purse for later disposal. Um, One of the challenges with droplets, the way that this thing spreads, is that we've seen that the virus is present in the mouth just as much as it's present in the upper nose. And what that means is that if someone is coughing or is sneezing and they have this virus, it, it will spread. And it can spread in two big ways. Uh, the first is if someone coughs or sneezes into your face, you know, uh, obviously it's um, going to spread to you, it might not infect you, but you'll be exposed to it. But then if they're coughing or sneezing and the droplets land on a surface, whether it's a table, whether it's a seat, the droplets stay infectious. I'm not quite sure how for how long they stay infectious. I've seen varying timelines. But what that means is if you walk into a room, and you put your hand down on a table, and someone had recently coughed on that table, and then you touch the table, and then you scratch your eye, you know, you put your fingers to your lips, that's a risky behavior these days. Um, And it goes back to just old-fashioned things that we've been taught, you know, wash your hands, um, don't touch your eyes, don't touch your nose, don't touch your mouth. You know, you mentioned preparedness, and, and I think this is one of the big things we can do just to maximize the chances of keeping ourselves and our friends, our colleagues, our family healthy is to watch our own hygiene, how we could be spreading, and uh, to minimize the chances that we're going to pick something up. There's a lot more hand washing going on, and I think that's a great thing. Uh, And I'm also seeing a lot more people use uh, some of the uh, alcohol-based gels either before they eat at a restaurant or even just during the day. That's all good.
1: Yeah, I feel like any uptick in hygiene is going to be a good thing any time of year for all people. That's just sort of how human beings gathered in the same place kind of works. That's sort of a thing throughout history. I want to shift a little bit because I know you've talked a lot about stigma. And here we have, uh, you know, some people trying to call this the Wuhan flu and the Chinese coronavirus and putting place names attached to this. And so I wonder if you could share with us a bit about what you're doing to try to fight stigma. Uh, uh, as it's as it's related to this this ordeal we're potentially facing
3: you know I'm so sorry that this is happening I think it's a distraction Um, you know and it's scapegoating people who have nothing to do with it you know especially when um, you know I hear about things that are happening in Chicago and I always make a big difference in looking for calls and in looking for blame and if we want to look for calls, then we examine cultural practices, we examine how this virus might have come about. And fine, and we learn from it. But that's very different from looking for blame. And I'll be honest, Amy, I'm not in the blame game. Um, You know, I'm too tired from doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And I just don't know how productive that is. Again, when we study causes, we can learn and, you know, make progress and so forth. And you know, not just in this, but in so many scenarios in life, I think if we play the blame game, we're taking everybody and especially ourselves a step back. It's just not productive. It's not constructive.
1: I love that cause v. Blame. That's a very important thing to go when you're when you're looking through uh, through cases, through causes, cause v. Blame very, very different and very, very important. I, I, I agree with you completely. I think it's I think it's a shame that 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 this, it is a distraction. You're exactly right. It is a distraction for it to, to be taking away from having real conversations around data and information. And I think that's what people are, are, are mostly craving right now, really, truly. So in your work, again, as, as the spokesperson for the College of American Pathologists in particular, um, what is your, you know, advice right now? I think a lot of people are looking at a lot of closures, but then thinking about, well, this event I've got to go to, that's not closing, or we see, you know, today, Morningstar is experimenting with some mandatory work at home days for some employees just to see if they're ready for that. But I think some other, you know, other workers are kind of going, I was looking at Twitter, people going, well, I don't know if, if my company's doing that. What advice do you have for employers in particular?
3: Um, CDC website, they keep updating and uh, keep coming out with some good advice. I think many work sites are looking to see, hey, is it really necessary to fly people in to meetings that aren't necessary? Can we use some of the, I don't know what they're really called, social media like Zoom or, you know, some of the um, uh, meeting by, um, meetings that we use Internet for? You know, can meetings happen that way rather than in person? I mean, obviously, some meetings can't happen in person. Some interactions can't happen remotely. I mean, there's no way that I can work from home and, you know, figure out how to do what I'm doing here at the hospital. Uh, But I think people are starting uh, to say, is it really necessary to um, expose ourselves, Um, you know, or more vulnerable people? And Amy, I think that's one thing I wanted to mention is that one of the things that I've seen with this virus is that the people who are most vulnerable to it are our older members, Um, And, you know, if we're looking for something positive to do, it might be to offer to go grocery shopping for someone or, uh, you know, especially if there's someone older, again, who, you know, has more risks if they get this. What can we do to help them? What can we do to reduce their fear? What can we do to make their life a little bit easier?
1: I think that is really, really wonderful advice. We have a question from a texter who texted in, and that is from the 708 area code who asks, what is the risk of spreading the coronavirus in food as it is prepared? For example, if someone coughs over food as they prepare it, could it be
3: transferred? I don't know about that. I don't know how the, I mean, we've talked about how the virus can survive on hard surfaces. I don't know how the virus would um, survive on food. But again, it goes back, Amy, to what we were talking about earlier, which is basic hygiene. Right. You know, e- even without the virus, you know, I don't like it when people are coughing on my food.
1: Certainly not, right? I would be a little upset if somebody sneezed while they were making me a sandwich, too. Indeed, I think this is all really, really sound advice. I really appreciate you uh, talking with us about it. I think it's been very interesting to watch accounts of other healthcare professionals from other countries as this as this has been hitting and impacting other countries. I, you know, I, I think. On some level, why, why would we imagine it would be any different here than, you know, human bodies or human bodies? But, but as you're looking at, at how this has progressed in other countries, what, uh, you know, what really stands out to you about what your colleagues in the medical industry are doing?
3: Just how dedicated everybody has been to try to figure this out and relieve suffering. Um, there's a pathologist here at the University of Chicago who happened to have been in Wuhan as this was breaking out in December, and he stayed to take care of people. Um, and it's not just direct hands-on physicians. I mean, as pathologists, you know, most of my colleagues have been working, honestly, you know, 16-, 18-hour days, seven days a week, trying to figure out how to prepare our hospitals, how to prepare our laboratories so that we can offer great testing. Uh, we're talking among ourselves, we're talking with our professional organizations, you know, especially the College of American Pathologists, which is how can we get reliable testing, how can we perform reliable testing and make it available to patients? And, it's not. And again, it's not just physicians. The people who are working in the diagnostic manufacturing companies, same thing. Everybody seems to be on overdrive. Uh, we want to come up with what we can to diagnose this and again to relieve suffering.
1: Indeed, there was a, a post from a from an Italian physician in the Lombardy region that's gone viral in the last couple of days, describing the working conditions and what he's seeing his colleagues, you know, call forth within themselves to do and to serve even at the point of exhaustion that was really, really very moving. If if, if those listening haven't haven't seen it, there's a translation of it that a couple people have made. That's really interesting. I have one more question. And then I'm, I'm afraid I have to let you go. I wish we could talk for hours more. You're so interesting. and You have so many interesting things to say. But someone from the 630 area code texted in asking about the differences with what we're dealing with, with coronavirus and the flu.
3: That is such a great question. A couple of differences. One, we have a vaccine against influenza, and even though it's not perfect, it really reduces the chance we're going to get a bad case of influenza. We also have therapy against influenza. Someone is diagnosed rapidly, they'll be given a prescription, and again, the symptoms will be lessened. I think the biggest difference, though, is the mortality rate. Uh, With flu, the mortality rate is about 1 out of a 1,000. And with corona, the mortality rate is generally 20% for those over the age of 80. Which is and, very
1: different, yes. Yeah,
3: it's it's different. And I know the numbers for influenza are much larger. Um, you know, if you look at the number of people every year who die from influenza, I think the challenge with this is that it's an unknown. Uh, we have so many respiratory viruses or other bacteria that we anticipate coming every winter. We know, you know, best how to handle them, uh, what to do, how to diagnose, how to treat them. But this is an unknown And um, again, we want to reduce suffering. We want to keep as many people alive as possible uh, and keep as many people healthy and functioning and working and living their lives as we can. Uh, But there's some of the differences between influenza and this coronavirus.
1: Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Kathleen G. Beavis from University of Chicago, professor of pathology and spokesperson for the College of American Pathologists. Thank you so much. Your knowledge is so very, very appreciated. I appreciate you taking the time today to talk it all over and share your information with us.
3: Amy, it was a privilege to spend my time with you and your listeners. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you.
1: We will call you again for sure. Thank you. All right. got to take a break. Plenty more to talk about on the other side of the break and the other side of news here on 720 WGN. 720 WGN. It's Amy Guth in for Anna Davlantes. Jasmine, Hall and Oates. Look at that. Killing it. Killing it with the <laughs> 80s jams. You're so good, Jasmine. You're so good. Oh, thanks. All right. We got lots to do today. We're joined now by Scott Catoon because it is Tech Tuesday, is what it is. And of course, Scott Catoon is the Chicago based media entrepreneur, investor, and CEO of TechNori. He's also host of the Startup Showcase right here on WGN, Saturdays from noon till one o'clock. Hello, Scott. How are you doing? I'm well. There's so many, always so many good tech stories that I want to talk about with you. That's why I'm usually like tweeting them at you, going, "Oh, what do you think?" Or usually, I'm here to talk about them. You, I just I'm
4: fresh off the podcast.
1: I just I literally left the studio. Can you talk about what was on the podcast today? Yeah, absolutely. Tell me.
4: Uh, so Draftbit uh, is a company that locally is like if you if you're in the business of building apps. You remember a couple of years ago, everyone was like, "You have an app for that." There's an app for everything. everything.
1: Even people that didn't need apps and needed had an app. Yeah,
4: you have to. Um, but the problem is they were just like reskins. Yeah, right. They were garbage. You wouldn't actually use it. You download a bunch of these apps and then you never use them again. Uh, they're actually building apps and it's like Wix for apps. Oh, okay. And the, th- the part that's interesting to me about the company is that businesses uh, that would like to build a, like a really premium app. Like you can pay for it and code it in real time and like they give you this Wixy, you know, yeah. type of thing. And then they can develop on top of it. So like you can build on it. But as regular people, you know, we were talking about he just had a, a, a kid. He has a 10-week-old 10, 10 son. And obviously, I have Vivi, who's nine months. And if Jen and I could have had an app that would, like, be able to check on the kid and and put the API for the camera in and our schedules and, like, we would be able to, like, live... An app that's just for us. We custom built it. It costs nothing. And it's just for us. And then we leave it, abandon it when we're done with and it. And what's the service, the platform called again? Uh, Draftbit. Draftbit. B-I-T. Draftbit.com. I loved it. And then we had another one, two sons who I guess are big fans of me. They were super nice to me, like way too uncomfortably nice to me.
1: <laughs> they were um, kind of fanboy for you? Oh. And
4: they, <laughs> he stopped the ending of the show and wanted to be like, before we end this, I just want to tell you how much we appreciate what you wow. do for us. I was like, I really, this is great. Okay. I'm very uncomfortable. But, right, you're um, <laughs> Did you bring a gift? <laughs> no. Um, but no, the, the company is called Energy CX. And I think you'd get behind this. It's trying to make all the buildings that we're building all over the place more energy efficient. And like oh, we instead of firing people during down seasons, you could just manage the energy you use in the building more and save hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars and not have to trim staff as much as you just make sure that you know you don't leave the lights on all night long when you're not there.
1: Oh, isn't that interesting? Yeah, that's a that's super, a very interesting idea. I love the the space that when when people are kind of forced to innovate. Yeah. It's one thing when you're like I came up with a creative idea, just I just did, there it yeah. is. But when you're kind of in a crunch and you have to innovate, I mean, I think it not under the most favorable times but i think we're seeing companies do this right now this Uh, week Saying how can we do this remotely how can we continue our work uninterrupted but with letting people work flexibly there's a ton of
4: companies in chicago that are doing the remote already i mean like power reviews who's been on the show before uh we emailed this is not good for us we emailed all these people saying hey do you want to get together uh for our founders breakfast And like uh we're all we're all just you know now all in the business of uh of working remotely so we can't make
1: it interesting well there's some very big companies that are primarily remote like yeah. wordpress has been like primarily remote workers for years and years which i, I think love it
4: i would much rather have the people on my team work where they want to work like i just i like it
1: if you're going to be more productive working from a beach go for it right i, would, I, I don't know if i'd <laughs> i i do not know kept, if i'd be more productive i'm gonna need an editor happy. because i'm gonna write
4: like a, as the drinks start to flow
1: <laughs> misspellings mine I,
4: that's the least of my concerns
1: <laughs> to be honest Indeed. Well, it's Tech Tuesday. And so we're talking with Scott Katoon. He is the CEO of TechNori, and, of course, host of the, the Startup Showcase here on WGN. We're going to take a little break and continue talking right after this on 720 WGN. 720 WGN Jasmine You've Done It Again This is one of my favorite songs in the entire world I really love this song It's so good It's maybe one of my karaoke jams that I'm not going to perform for you right now. Oh (laughs) man, That's for later. All right, well, it's Tech Tuesday, my friends, and so that means we have Scott Katoon with us. He is the CEO of Technori and host of the Startup Showcase here on WGN Radio, Saturdays from noon to one. We were talking a little bit uh, just about some tech news in the world, but I want to switch a little bit and talk about Quibi. I am so interested in this platform, Quibi. You and I have been talking about it, I think, for probably three or four months at this Point. It is longer than that. I want to say two things first off, though. Yeah.
4: One, your choice in music on your show is amazing.
1: I'm all in on the 80s, but it's all Jasmine. Give her no, the
4: credit. Jazz, Jazzy's awesome. She was great when she was producing our show. The other thing is, you read live reads so well. I think you could build a show around. Amy Guth Reads Live Reads.
1: <laughs> the Amy Guth Live
4: Read program. All right, I'm I, in. I think it's like, if anyone watched the movie Demolition Man, it's like, we this is our new jam. Well, you used to call them commercials, but, and the whole show is uh, yeah. just you reading commercials with like a,
1: a sensibility. I feel like I could have a YouTube channel with that.
4: I, I think it would be fairly big, to be It'd be, be like honest. ASMR. Plus Jazzy with
1: what? the music. Yeah, okay. I'm in. Yeah. I'm into this. But this could Free be a Quibi. idea. We'll do it on Quibi. <laughs> yeah. we, launch, okay. we launch a Quibi. So Quibi, it, let's talk about what Quibi yeah. is a little bit. So, I mean, it's new it's got some huge backing it's led by former dreamworks animation chief jeffrey katzenberg and ceo meg whitman so you've already got two powerhouse kind of people players in that space and a few billion dollars in funding i would say, and a few billion bucks which usually helps you know what you're doing but it's about it's really about a shift in the way we're making content yeah
4: i i mean i agree i think uh like you, I'm very excited about this, and I hope that they didn't raise all this money and it becomes a huge bust because it's going to make it really hard for people like you and I to make a living when all of the rich people out there lose all their money on a new platform. But what excites me about Quibi is we already know that our ability to listen to content, to watch content, to be fully immersed in content for extended periods of time gets harder and harder every day. We just don't have the attention span for it. And the idea that you could send me nine minute shows that I would get the same, all of the endorphins I got from binge watching something on Netflix, like they recognize that that time at home watching 12 episodes of Game of Thrones is you and your family time. But when you're like cruising around, I don't wanna watch garbage videos on my phone, but I would watch them if they were produced. For my phone.
1: And I knew that it was like a quality piece of content, right? That That's when you're going to be like, okay, I'm in a long line at the grocery store. That's fine. I'll yeah. just watch an episode.
4: Totally. Easy. I, I mean, it's it's in a lot of ways what I'm interested in. This is something that I've been tweeting at them. They, Meg Whitman, you've got to follow. My Twitter is on you. I'm like, <laughs> I'm tweeting at you all the time. I want to talk to them about this. One thing because I think it's a huge, it will be a huge flaw if they don't get this right. Do you ever do like YouTube on your phone? Yeah. So if you do that, or if you're on the iPad, you're watching like an I, you know Apple movie,
1: mm-hmm.
4: I still want to be able to use my phone. That's right. So when I scroll, I need to be able to get out of that app and have the video go a small part of the corner so I can still view it and I can scrape it back up when I want to watch it. And I know they're going to say like, you can't even go nine minutes. No, I cannot. The reason that I jumped into podcasts and thought it was so huge was that I knew that people wanted to do other things. They want to listen to me tell a story in a way that is more interesting than whatever other thing that's out, just news bites that are out there but they also want to scroll they want to tweet they want to take a picture they want to do a lot of things
1: and they want to do in their own time yeah. on
4: demand correct right. and that's why to me quibi is like you're going to launch all these little mini shows could be really great it, it and we didn't even get in. we can get into like the content creator part i mean you know this right. better than me there's so many ways that now you've opened up another level of how creative you can get to tell a story
1: absolutely that's I mean, awesome and it and what a nine-minute episode could be versus a 22 or 40 minute episode, that's really significant. And to me, that's very pro-artist because then your creators are going to be able to do so much more and we're going to see so much more interesting things coming from people who may not have those giant budgets to pull off a Game of Thrones or something like that.
4: I'll tell you, one other thing I think is really interesting about it, and I had a company that called in on the Saturday show uh, called Stareable. I will preface that I did not like the name. No name should happen. Stareable? Yeah, you shouldn't have like terrible a... in your name. That's
1: not <laughs> or staring. Yeah, it's they, they ter- need terrible staring. It's
4: that's a different company. I Work think. with them, but we need to On talk a little branding campaign. But but what it's cool about it is it's a platform that lets creators create web series which then they signed up partnerships with like HBO, all these big people. They should have said something to them. But anyway, uh, AMC, HBO, all these people because they're scouting for talent. Mm-hmm. And the reality is, if you could create a bunch of nine, seven, twelve, fifteen minute shows. And it became a hit, they could pick you up. That's right. And now all of a sudden, I don't have to have some big producer back. I don't have to owe, owe my life to somebody. Mm-hmm. I can just create what is cool to me and test the boundaries of the tech and go from there. And that that's one of the things that they've done really well, I think, is I'm excited about.
1: And we saw this with YouTube, right? When we saw a lot of, there was a lot of talking heads kind of content on YouTube for better and worse. Some of it is ridiculous and very navel gazing, but some of it is compelling. But we saw legitimate celebrities and legitimate stars being launched from that. I think it's
4: cool is that you can have a star that's a star for a minute and then disappears and then they come back as a star again. Like we're seeing people who in the past, there's this like, oh, their career is on the downswing. And it's like, No, I'm just doing something else now. And you're going to start to see people who are like really famous on TikTok for a minute, and then they're not, until they are again.
1: Until they are. Until
4: they create content. They make a lot of money in that moment, and then they go do whatever people do.
1: And then TikTok is another endlessly fascinating platform where it makes it easy. I see why people are sucked into it, because you you just sit down and hit play and... off it goes and it's going and you're watching and you're watching and it's all the things. But you also see a lot of, there's a lot of creativity that comes from constraints. It's that same thing I was saying about businesses. Like when you have the constraint of it, you have a tiny window to make this piece of content. Very interesting things. And you see like funny memes and you see really creative stuff happening with TikTok. That You're like, you know what? I never would have thought of that. That's so funny and weird and ridiculous that this kid just made.
4: I think what I'm most excited about for Quibi is what does something shot for my phone look like? Mm-hmm. It can't just be zoomed in. And they talk about that, like you're not supposed to screen it up to your screen. Like it will change perspective. Yeah,
1: it's so if, you, your if you're phone. going yeah. this
4: way or that way, like it's gonna change the way that you are viewing it and having that for the creatives out there to create a way, it's very similar to audio, which you do obviously with cranes, amazing, is how do I change the sound? How do I tell a story so you hear the riverbed flow? Like how do I how do I create a visual out of audio? How do I create an experience, an emotional feeling out of a video that was shot with this little tiny phone?
1: Yeah, I think it's interesting. Well, there's another piece of the Quibi thing, and that is remember the show Punked was right with Ashton Kutcher. It is being revamped for Quibi, and it's going to be hosted by Chance the Rapper.
4: Awesome! I think Chance is. Wonderful His Chicago are news. Amazing. Yeah, it's cr- and and for Chicago. Do you, do you know is uh, is Ashton Kutcher producing? Is he he has to be right because that he made so much money on that that it's. I mean, that's what got him going and in investing. He
1: did that and was like, oh, I'm sure that he is. He has to be. Uh, I know that Jason Goldberg will executive produce that, but I'm sure. I'm sure Ashton is involved in there somewhere. I, I feel like his name him. comes up on a lot of stuff. So. Yes. We got to get him on the show, too. I keep tweeting at him. We need Ashton. Are you listening? People, listen to, respond to his tweets. Come, yes, on. come on. Come on, people. All right. Well, thanks so much for being with us today, Scott. Always a pleasure to talk with you. Likewise. Thank All you so right. much for having me. So everybody, tune into the Startup Showcase on WGN Radio, Saturdays from noon till one. We'll be right back in just a bit here on 720 WGN.